Well, happy Easter Center Church. I am so excited for today. And it's a little weird because this is my very first Sunday not being in a room with so many of you. And this is probably your first Sunday experiencing Easter Sunday from your couch or from your living room table, uh, living room or your kitchen table or something else. And so I just wanna say thank you. Thanks for making time. Thanks for making this a priority. And what I figured out over the last couple of weeks is this virus has given me a lot of margin. Not in the sense that I'm less busy with work or I'm less occupied in my house projects or anything like that, but just more time to think, more space to think. And what's also interesting is that I have more time to think, more space and more margin in my calendar than the last month, but I also have less of an idea of what the future is gonna look like as well. I have less vision for what the future is gonna look like. I'm not sure. I haven't made any plans for the summer, which is totally unlike me. It's because we're all in this weird state of a new routine and new cultural moment, new habits. And for all of us, there's a moment that we can take to think about Easter in a new way. And that's what we're gonna to attempt to do today. But before we do that, I want you to literally share with the people you're watching with, or maybe you need to just jump online and get in the YouTube chat or Facebook chat and share this. But we're gonna take 30 seconds. I want you to ask, ask and answer the question, what is one place you miss going? What's one place you miss going? I'm gonna share mine when we get back, but let's hear from you. All right, well, I hope that you're sharing those in, in the live chat right now, but I'm gonna share with you one of the things that has just messed up my routine is I haven't been to Chick-fil-A in like a week and a half, okay? So for me, a routine is our small group met every single Wednesday at Chick-fil-A. It was a highlight of my week. Occasionally, yes, I would eat there. I wouldn't just study the Bible. But for me, there's so many of those routines and habits that have got disrupted. And more than just routines and habits, I'm willing to bet that there's some serious things in your life right now that are disrupted. Maybe you've lost your job. Maybe you know someone who's tested positive for COVID-19. Maybe as a parent right now, you're ready to donate your kids to another family. <laughs> Maybe you're in that season of life. And all of us, every single one of us, our lives have been disrupted by this virus and it's caused many of us to feel uncomfortable. And you're not alone in that because actually disciples of Jesus who followed with him for years, they had this conversation in Mark 10, 32 in which they started to feel a little bit uncomfortable. And I want you to grab your Bible right now. I want you to grab a device. I want you to find it. It'll also be on our screen, but I want you to turn to Mark 10, 32. And we finished last week's talking about with uh, Brian Lettuce and talking about the rich young ruler. And today we're going to talk about how this conversation continues on Jesus's way to the cross, which we just celebrated a few days ago with Good Friday. And so would you read with me? Mark writes this in verse 32. They were on their way up to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way. And the disciples were astonished. I mean, think about it. They'd followed him for the last 10 chapters of his life and had seen miracle after miracle, teaching after teaching, powerful encounter after powerful encounter. They're amazed. But those who followed him were afraid. They weren't sure what was happening. Again, Jesus took the 12 aside and told them what was going to happen to him. He's talking about the cross here. And he says, we're going up to Jerusalem, he said. And the Son of Man, talking about himself, will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death, will hand him over to the Gentiles, will mock him, spit on him, flog him, and kill him. 
This is not the message the disciples were anticipating. See, as the disciples hear this, you'd think of all of them, of anyone hearing this story and overhearing this conversation, that these 12 disciples who had journeyed with Jesus for multiple years, who'd given up their lives and livelihoods to follow him, you'd think they would get it, right? They would understand what he's saying. They would have clarity around what it's going to look like. Well, in fact, they don't exactly, and let's keep reading. Verse 35, Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Seems like a bold question, but in a way, James and John are testing Jesus in this moment. So he responds, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? What are you asking for? See, they reply, let us, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. What are James and John saying here? Well, James and John are reading in your glory as when you come and destroy the Roman Empire, when you overthrow our persecutors, when you set things right, when you essentially become the warrior king we've always wanted you to be, and you just haven't lived up to that yet. And oh, by the way, we want to sit at your right and left because we want a front row seat to that happening. Jesus has other plans. Jesus' version of glory is a cross. It's suffering, it's pain, it's his humility. And so look what he says back. He says, you don't know what you're asking. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? But to sit on my right or my left is not, my, not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. I resonate with James and John, maybe like you. Because a couple of weeks ago, I thought I knew where our world was heading. I thought I knew what the next couple of months were going to be like. And even last week, I thought, I kind of have a general idea when this virus is going to be over. And I get proved wrong every single day. I really don't know. I'm not sure where things are headed. And yet for James and John, they say, Jesus, he's, he's on the ancient coronation path. I mean, he's literally traveling the roads kings have traveled. He must be the warrior king we would hope he would be. This is the Messiah right here. And we're just waiting to, to watch this take place. And for them, the cross, when Jesus talked about suffering and death, those were just metaphor. That was just a really interesting conversation for them. But they didn't think it was actually going to happen. They thought they knew the one thing that would change everything. But friends, I just want to remind you that today's Easter. We celebrated and, uh, and remember the power of Good Friday. We waited in anticipation on Saturday. But today is Sunday. We celebrate the resurrection today because we know on the other side of this story that it's the resurrection. It's the one thing that changes everything. It's not our prayers, it's not our teachings, it's not even our own performance as Christians. It's not a government, it's not the ceasing of a virus to spread. No, it's really none of those things. It's the resurrection. The resurrection is the one thing that changes everything. And as you read on in the story, I think it's easy for us to identify with James and John because I've said stuff like this to, even the last week. Well, if this virus was just over, that would change everything. If my kids would just behave, that would change everything. If my job was more secure than it was, that would change everything. But for the gospel writers and for these disciples who all eventually gave their lives for this truth, the resurrection was the one thing 
that changed everything. And I want to read the rest of this story because the journey continues. See, actually, in the rest of the story, in verse 46, you can read this with me. It says, Then they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. I just want to pause here. Think about this as your life. Think about having no vision. And not just no sight, but no vision for your life. Think about living on the side of the highway, begging, being ridiculed by your peers, not participating in normal things in society, not being a part of worship at the temple, having to literally beg for your bare, bare bones living. I mean, the guy basically in this story is listed as having a cloak, and that's probably all he had, this jacket that he would sit on and beg from. And it's in the midst of this depressed state that he hears Jesus of Nazareth. I wonder, maybe Jesus was teaching Maybe he's rebuking James and John for what they just asked him about. But as they're moving through this region of Jericho, he begins to shout, Jesus, son of God, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped. And he says to him, he says to his disciples, call him. So they called to the blind man, cheer up on your feet. He's calling you like you're getting what you wanted, essentially. So this guy throws his cloak aside, his possessions aside, unlike last week, the rich young ruler who was unwilling to do this. Bartimaeus does this. He tosses his cloak aside. He jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. I don't have any friends that are blind, but if they tried to pile drive me and they can't see, I'm afraid of what's going to happen. This guy is just running after Jesus and hearing his voice. And Jesus asks him this question, what do you want me to do for you? Do you remember that question? James and John had the same question posed to them by Jesus just moments ago. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him this and the blind man says, Rabbi, I want to see. I want to have vision for my life again. I want to see the future. I, wanna, I want to see. Go, says Jesus, your faith has healed you. Immediately, he received his sight. He, he saw again and followed Jesus along the road. What strikes me about how Mark pairs these stories together is that James and John think they see and they don't. But Bartimaeus cannot see and yet he ends up seeing. And not just seeing, but ends up following Jesus along the road. His suffering led him to run to Jesus, to depend on him, to sacrifice it all for him. He was willing to follow Jesus wherever it led. See, for him, that foretaste of what Jesus was doing, the foretaste of resurrection, the resurrection, friends, is the one thing that changes everything. And Jesus in this story is giving Bartimaeus a glimpse of what the resurrection was going to be like, this power this new kingdom he was ushering in by his very presence. N.T. Wright puts it this way. He's an author and theologian who writes a ton about the resurrection. He says, Jesus' resurrection is the beginning of God's new project, not to snatch people away from earth to heaven, but to colonize earth with the life of heaven. That, after all, is what the Lord's Prayer is all about. That quote struck me a couple days ago because for me, I even think about this virus, this really, really challenging season we're in as a culture. 
And I think, wouldn't it be nice to just escape this? So literally, the old song says, I'll fly away. Oh, glory, I'll fly away. Like, if someone could just pluck me out and take me away, N.T. Wright says that's not the point of resurrection. Resurrection is breathing new life into things that are dead, bringing order where there is chaos, bringing peace where there is no peace. And Jesus is giving his disciples a taste of this as he heals Bartimaeus. If I'm honest with you, about 10 years ago, everything changed for me when it comes to this conversation. See, 10 years ago, I was sitting in a chapel. I was sitting in a college chapel. I was uh, about part of the way through my ministry training. I was so excited to be a pastor. I sat through this worship service, and it felt like one of those out-of-body experiences. Have you had those before? Where you sit and it feels like I'm watching myself take place in this service, but I'm not really there there. It's kind of what it felt like. I sat through this worship service and just really what I was wrestling with was the first year of being in ministry school that I felt like I was doing a great job. I was getting good grades. I was a nice person. I wasn't breaking any rules of the college. I was serving God on the weekends. Like I was getting all my assignments turned in. I was doing all the right things. And yet I just didn't feel close to God. And I wasn't sure why. I thought that my performance had earned me a spot at the table with him. And yet I didn't feel his presence at all. And so for me, what began to take place was the service wrapped up. I was sitting there with my friends and literally I sat there for just moments after in total silence. And slowly I began to put my head in my hands and I just began to weep. I began to cry. And I just sat through like huge snot bubbles and a flood of tears to my friend Jason who's next to me. I just muttered, am I a Christian? Like, do I get it? Am I doing the right, what's wrong? And Jason understood something I didn't understand. He says back to me, he says, yeah, you are. This is what it means to be a Christian. And I reflected on that years later. I I didn't even fully understand at the moment. It just felt good to have someone say something nice in that moment. But for me, what I recognized was that was the moment that Jesus' resurrection power began to do a work in me, to breathe new life into me, to teach me how to really follow him, to not rely on my performance or all the things that I had done for God and presented them at his altar but just to bring my brokenness to him, to bring my desperation, to bring my surrender, to really see what his kingdom is all about. There's another passage I want you to turn to. And in this passage, we get a glimpse of what the resurrection would have been like to actually experience for ourselves. And I actually want you to turn there to Mark 16, verse 4. I want you to turn there, and for about 30 seconds, I want you to read Mark 16, 4, 5, and 6 before we close. So if you have somebody around the table with you or at the couch with you or in the chair with you, I would invite you to have your kid read this or maybe your spouse reads it. Or if you're alone, read this out loud or even text it someone or put it in the chat. Mark 16, 4, 5, and 6. I want you to read that, and then we're going to talk about it as we prepare to close. Close. Experience for ourselves. And I actually want you to turn there to Mark 16, verse 4. I want you to turn there, and for about 30 seconds, I want you to read Mark 16, 4, 5, and 6 before we close. So if you have somebody around the table with you or at the couch with you or in the chair with you, I would invite you to have your kid read this or maybe your spouse reads it. Or if you're alone, read this out loud or even text it someone or put it in the chat. 
Mark 16, 4, 5, and 6. I want you to read that, and then we're going to talk about it as we prepare to close. Now, you read something that is maybe my favorite part of the entire Bible. I mean, think about literally experiencing stumbling upon Jesus' empty tomb. But it says in verse 4, 5, and 6, it says, when they saw, when they saw the empty tomb, when they saw the angels there, when they saw that Jesus' body wasn't there anymore, that resurrection moment was the one thing that changed everything. And friends, what I didn't read in Mark 10, 34, the second part, maybe if you're picking up on it, you had your Bible, you already caught it. What I didn't read is after Jesus says to his disciples that the Son of Man will be spit on, mocked, flogged, and eventually killed, that three days later, he will rise. He will rise. The story's not over yet. That there's more to come. And friends, Jesus' reminder to us through this resurrection day, through Easter Sunday, is that suffering won't last forever. Financial strain doesn't last forever. A virus will not last forever. Jesus sees the end. Jesus knows the end. And Jesus wants you and I to participate in that resurrection life right here and right now in the midst of one of the most challenging times you and I have probably ever lived through. It's an opportunity for us to step in and to give it over to him. And in fact, the way we do that, because really if we boil this down and you and I are trying to grow as disciples, frankly, maybe you're watching this live stream and you're not a disciple of Jesus. You're not sure why you're watching this. Maybe you got invited or tagged or you saw an ad on Facebook and you're watching this. First of all, we're so glad you're here. But second of all, for all of us, no matter where you're at, there's actually a decision, one decision that changes everything as well. It's a decision to surrender our lives to Jesus, to do what I had to do about 10 years ago, of coming to a point of desperation, knowing I am not good enough and my sin is too great, but God's grace is greater still. His resurrection power was available to me and I took it. And I've had to live in that. And it's been the most freeing experience of my life and the most adventurous experience of my life. In fact, in, even in the midst of a virus, it's been the most joyful relationship I've ever had. And in the midst of all that, I want to give you the opportunity to pray with me just a simple prayer of that surrender, of asking God to fill you with his resurrection life, of submitting your life to him. And for many of us, we have prayed, for some of you on the other end of this camera, to, to pray this prayer to understand what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, to, to leave your works, to leave your sin, to leave your broken ways of thinking and broken patterns of living behind and take on the easy yoke of Jesus, to take up the resurrection for yourself. And so there's going to be a prayer on the screen. I want all of us to pray. But for some of you, this will be your very first time praying it. And it's really simple. Would you pray this with me? Jesus, today I see my need for you. I'm dead and lost in my sin. I invite you to be Lord of my life, to save me from my sin. I believe you died and you rose again so I can live with you. I surrender my life in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'm so humbled that some of you maybe prayed that prayer for the very first time. 
In fact, Jesus actually reminds us in the, in the story of Scripture that every time someone takes that step of surrender, every time someone gives their lives to Jesus, that in the entire angel choir in heaven rejoices. They're celebrating because they're excited that another ch child has come home, that there's another person whose names are in the book of life, that there's another person who's in the kingdom of God tasting that resurrection power for themselves. And so if that was your very first time doing that, we, we want to help you in this journey. Now, I totally get it. We can't give you an awesome mug or a set of cookies or something right now because we're not together. But we're going to try our very best to give you some tools and resources for you to keep taking steps with Jesus and keep living that life of surrender and tasting and experiencing that resurrection power. If you could help us out and if we can help you, uh, really the best way you're going to do that is by texting 31996. 31996. And just text the phrase Easter TCC. Easter TCC. 31996. And then in your message, just text Easter TCC. You'll go through a couple prompts and really it's going to go right to our team who's going to pray for you, who's going to walk with you and give you some resources and some tools to help you keep growing in Jesus as you start this new relationship. I want to pray for all of us, and then we're going to move on through the rest of our service together as we celebrate this resurrection. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you are real. Thank you that you are present. Thank you that today, this Easter Sunday, your resurrection is just as powerful as it ever has been. And God, we just afresh surrender our lives to you. We just thank you for this power that's at work. We thank you that, that because this is a real historical event that we can base our faith on, that that changes everything for us. And God, I thank you for those who've taken that first step of surrender today. I pray, God, that you fill them with your Holy Spirit, that they would sense you, that they would know that you're in the room, that they would walk in the freedom and the grace you give them right away. And God, I pray as we live out this Easter message today, even virtually, that you would allow us to encounter more and more of what it means to experience the one thing that changed everything. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.